You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly on up to the nine foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. He is joining me through the magic of podcasting instead of sitting at the bar because I have a house full of COVID. We're going to talk about that here in just moments. But first, family waterproofing solutions can take care of a lot of things in your house. They cannot remove COVID. They can remove water from your house, though. They can protect your house from water. Can't protect against COVID. They can protect against water getting inside of your house. Uh, they can take care of bowing walls. They cannot take care of the fact that your 15-year-old walked into the house and infected all of your children with COVID-19. But they are excellent at taking care of your water removal needs, getting it away from the house, any foundational issues. Check out everything they can do at FamilyDry.com or give them a call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 708-330-4466. Mention Sacks in the Basement. You get money off. If you didn't notice there, uh, I have children with COVID. And it's not as... I don't know. I, I, I've had a lot of people, they've reached out. I appreciate everybody who's, who's heard about it, uh, who said, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I hope everybody's feeling okay. Uh, people have offered prayers. I, well, I, I mean, people are worried. It's, it's a worrisome disease. So it's, it's, you know, it's good that people are reaching out to you. I get it. But, but here's the thing. I've spoken with two pediatricians this week, my own personal physician, and the uh, Cook County Department of Public Health that calls up after you have COVID in your house. And, like, runs down everything with you and asks you all kinds of questions and tells you what you can and can't do and everything else like that. And all, all of them are on the exact same page. So as I say this, if I say something in the next three minutes that is different from something you found on a website, you learned on Twitter or Facebook, I am very confident in the fact that multiple doctors and a Department of Public Health who are all on the same page for what I'm going to say right now all agree with what I'm going to say right now. This is why I never talk about this, because people get too upset when people talk about this. But I kind of want to let everybody know they're doing fine. Um, they, I was told that they are doing what 99.999% of children do when they have COVID. They get a fever every once in a while. It goes away. They get achy every once in a while. It goes away. I have one kid. She can't light her candles that make her room smell girly and enjoy them because she has no smell or taste. I have another kid who's been trying hot sauces to see whether or not he can get his taste back. He cannot. He's 13 years old and tells me he doesn't even get heat off of the hottest hot sauce inside of my cabinet unless it hits the back of his throat. And then I have a six-year-old that doesn't even realize he has COVID and doesn't really care. And they don't have any major issues. They are all doing very well. And from what has been explained to me, that is overwhelmingly the norm with children. And they have already been told 10 days from the moment that they started seeing uh, symptoms, no other tests needed go back to school. We've already talked with all their school nurses, everything else like that. So that's all good news. And then my wife and I both had the Moderna vaccine, Ed, and we were told by all these people, the doctors, which one did you get? Moderna. You're probably fine. Don't even worry about it. Uh, if you need to run out and do something, go ahead and do it. Act normal. If you want to get a test in three to five days, go get one. We did it. The test confirmed we don't carry any viral load. And we can't pass it to anybody. And there's no way we can be infected at this point five days into this. It's like one of those things where like the, the vaccine works and the breakthroughs for like Moderna are less than like 1%. It's different for like the Johnson Johnson, man. You got Johnson Johnson. You got a one in three chance of still getting this thing. I got the Cadillac of shots. 
So like we, like Eric and I are able to just go out and do our own thing. I would have been at Cork and Carry at the park on Thursday if I would have had time to get the test. I figured even with a less than 1% chance, I still wasn't going to risk it and be a jerk. I waited till I got the test. If it were if it were happening today, I would be there because I I can I can walk in and act normal now. All the kids are doing very well and and with all the bad stories about COVID and yes, there are many bad stories. I'm not downplaying how serious that the illness is. I I also want people to know that there's an overwhelming majority of people, especially with children, it goes just like this. So they're doing very well. I don't expect anything to change. The the one that had it the worst, who had like the worst symptoms, is is looks like she's almost fully recovered. And and that's only in a couple of days. So it's been it's been a it's been an interesting thing to have it in the house. Uh, but to me, it felt inevitable. You know, kind of like White Sox arguments on Twitter. Uh, like people who, for some reason, think that you're wrong if you have any issue with Yohan Mankata. Have you seen this? I have, and, and I have to compose myself because I'm still laughing at the phrase viral load. <laughs> but um, It is my favorite phrase to say, and every time I say it, I snicker like I'm a 13-year-old boy. My 13-year-old son snickers whenever I say it as well. And we're all in a way 13 years old. But no, I'm glad your kids are doing well, and I really wish people would wake up to the fact that Yohan Mankata is not who they think he is. Well, here's the thing. He's an above-average player. His OPS Plus shows that. His his ability to hit singles over the last couple of days and get on base shows that. But it, he went on like a six-game hitting streak or whatever he's at right now. And Twitter explodes with people that are like, see, all you Yoan haters, you're wrong. He's a superstar. He's spectacular. He's great. Don't worry about him. And what I want to point out is that his average is at the lowest point it's been since late April He's actually down since the beginning of August. His OPS plus is only 111. If you like an above average player with above average defense who every once in a while seems to not make a play that you would think he could make because you bought his jersey, okay. I mean, I have his jersey too. I'm a big Yohan Moncada fan. I have hours and hours and hours of, of audio of me on Socks in the Basement over the last couple of years telling you I thought this guy was great. When he was terrible, I sat there and said, you're all wrong. He's going to be great. When he did so well in 2019, I was like, this is who this guy is. If that's who he was in 2019, he's a star. But he isn't that this year. And I don't know why it's wrong to question whether or not he's doing what you would expect him to do. He's still hitting in the middle of your lineup. And I would contend he doesn't deserve to be there. And there's a reason why Andrew Vaughn's hitting in front of him now against lefties. And I really believe that he could drop down the lineup. And you're not a bad fan for questioning it. Because in the end, every offensive statistic that he's putting out there is, I mean, he having a six-game hit streak is like saying Larry Garcia should be playing every day because he had a six-game hit streak. He's not doing anything extraordinary. Let's let's not let's not start throwing Larry Garcia out there. I'm like sorry. He I'm was, just trying to make a point. I'm sorry. You know, a real cop. I know. I know. <laughs> But statistically, though, you are right. He is not what he was in 2019. And there are, you know, you don't have to try and search high or low to look for changes in what's gone on. All right. 2019, let's just look at the the, the slash line, right? He ends the season at 315. He could still get there, I suppose. But he ends the, the 315 for his batting average. Uh, on base percentage of 367, slugging percentage of 548. Right now he's at 254, 368 on base percentage, which means he is getting on base as much as he did in 2019, but a 387 slug. He's not hitting for as much power. He is walking more. He's at 14.1% this year. He was at 7.2% in 2019 for the season. His K rate is about the same. 
27.5 in 2019, 26.6 right now. Batting average on balls in play, the BABIP number, who's at an otherworldly 406 in 2019, is at a very high 345 right now. But looking at just those numbers, looking at even just the basic slash line, looking at the fact that he's not hitting as many home runs, not hitting as many doubles, he's getting on base, striking out, you know, at, at a similar clip to his best year, he's not being as aggressive, all right? And and that, I think, is the big change, and I think we've kind of hit on that before, where that walk rate is almost troubling for him because it seems like when he was at his best, he's jumping on a good pitch when he sees it, and he's hitting the daylights out of it. But he's just, it's its not like he's underperforming. He is exactly, when you look at like his expected batting average, it's 255. His expected slugging is 412. He's underperforming just a, just a hair, but he's right there with his expected, you know, uh, on base as well. So, I mean, it, it's the underlying numbers suggest he is not underperforming, that he is not the 2019 version of himself, other than the fact that for whatever reason, he's not being as aggressive, it seems, and he is not hitting the ball for as much power as he did two years ago. I get that there are people that like him, and I like him too, because I think that he could be a great player. I'm not questioning his ability. I, I just don't know whether or not he's putting the effort in right now uh, to get all that ability out there and translate it into results. I, I'm, I'm starting to make it an effort question. Because I do believe he's a talented guy. I do believe that he's he's able to do something much closer to what he did in 2019. Let's make some comparisons. I just looked up two names just off the top of my head just now while you were talking, Ed. Two guys. Okay. Tadahito Aguchi, right? Oh, yeah. Was Tadahito Aguchi a superstar? Was he a superstar? Was he a was he a guy that you, like, you could build a team around? He should be in the middle of your order? Is that what he was? No. No. Okay. No, he was not. All right. When you look at when you look at the baseball reference war, the B war for Yohan Mankata, he'll probably finish with a four war. He might end up at four and a half. It's similar to what Tadahito Aguchi gave you in 2005. It's good. It's, it's, it's a definite contribution to your team. Is he a star? No, he's not a star. And, and, and should he be in the middle of your lineup? I'm not really so sure in a, in a championship lineup if he's sitting in the middle of your lineup. He's towards the bottom of that. I mean, people are arguing put him in the two spot, but Luis Robert uh, moved into that spot on Friday, and he may be in that from, from now on. All right. And, and, and deservedly so. I think they become really dangerous with him in the two spot. But let's look at another guy. Let's compare him to a star third baseman on the White Sox that I grew up with by the name of Robin Ventura. His wins above replacement will come nowhere near to Robin Ventura's average wins above replacement when he was in his heyday, when he was in his youth, when he was in his prime, which is where Yohan Moncada is right now. He is not going to come into that. He's going to do like end of career uh, Robin Ventura. Or, you know, late in career Robin Ventura. If you bring up Robin Ventura's, like, yearly stats and, and and how many wins above replacement he's worth. You can tell me that he is an above-average player and that you like him. That's great. Is he a starter? Definitely. Is he a Major League Baseball player? You betcha. Can he contribute to this team winning? Yes, he can. Do I expect more? You're damn right I do. And it's you're not wrong to ask what's wrong with him. Okay, I'm just saying you're not wrong to ask. If you're going online and you're telling people he sucks and they should release him or he should be in AAA, I think you're wrong there. All right. Right. I think you're that, wrong that, there. None of that makes sense. But if you're pointing out that the White Sox in the offseason might say we can upgrade at that position, I don't think you're wrong there. You know, I don't think that that's completely like crazy talk that the White Sox might not like his effort and you don't know how it's going to shape up in the offseason. So, again, the spotlight's on this guy. And you know what that means? It means so many other things are going right that now we're paying attention to these kind of things. 
instead of the massive injuries, instead of pitching woes or anything like that. We're paying attention to these kind of things. It's a good problem to have as a fan because this would not be something you'd worry about in a rebuild or if you had all those other problems. But it still doesn't negate the fact that I expect more from my White Sox third baseman right now. And I want him to make me look stupid over the next couple of months and go off. I really, really do. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. Today's guest on Socks in the Basement, just like every guest this month, is brought to you by Evil Horse Brewing Company. They are really south side, way south. 1338 Main Street in Crete, Illinois. Totally worth the pilgrimage. Why? Award-winning beers. I mean, go on their website, evilhorsebrewing.com. They've got an entire page just full of awards. Plus, Saturday night, you might actually see me there. That's tonight. I'm thinking about making a drive out there. They got an Imperial Double Red Ale Viking name. Can't pronounce it. 12% ABV. It's exquisite. It's on tap right now. It should be part of your bucket list if you're a beer drinker. Find out everything that's on tap, learn more about them, check out that beautiful tap room, all at evilhorsebrewing.com. Joining us on the phone line right now, good friend of the show, been out a bunch of times, uh, Scott Greger's back. That's Scott with one T, although my every time I text you, Scott, uh, it autocorrects. Is that annoying to you? I just want to tell you it's not me. It, it's 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 autocorrect. No, you know what's annoying is that I just just don't use two T's because uh, it would make my life and everybody's life a lot easier. So <laughs> maybe starting like right now, I'm going to go two T's. And but I've always said that no matter how you spell it, it's still pronounced the same. So how about that? You've been covering this team for a while for the Daily Herald, and you've been around them a lot. And you've gone through this rebuild, and you you watched the Yoan Moncada from the very beginning. Here, I mean, the guy we we trade for him. He comes up. He struggles mightily in 2018. One of the things that we talked about a lot on this show, that was our first year of Sox in the Basement, I believed there was something great there. And and then 2019 backed it up, and I puffed my chest out, and I was like, this is what I thought this guy was going to be. And I excused the shortened season, COVID season. He dealt with a lot of things. But I don't think this isn't good enough for me. Is this what he is? Do you think this is what he is? Do you think there's something going on here? Yeah, you know, it's the uh, seems Chris, it's the hot topic right now, which is you know, it's a it's a pretty good problem though. You know, this is like to kind of back it up for a second. Where, I mean, he's still like most third basemen. I think in the majors would be pretty happy with having a uh, you know Moncada's numbers right now. But you know, like you said in 2019. He was the guy that, you know, they got him in the Chris Dale trade, and he was like Baseball America's number one prospect. He was a 30-30, you know, an easy 30-30 kind of a guy with just, you know, the, how strong he is, how fast. And, 
you know, and he showed that, you know, a couple of years ago. And then, like you said, you know, last year, the, the COVID issue just really, he just seemed to be lethargic, you know, that whole short season. And there's been some kind of like, you know, flashes of the old Moncada this season, but, um, you know, we talked to him today and he's, you know, he said he's fine. He's, he's healthy, you know, but, you know, like players are going to tell you they're healthy even when they're not. And, um, you know, you don't know what, if it's still the, uh, the after effects of the COVID because it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not really where he should be. I mean, he's been stuck in around 40 runs batted in for, you know, for weeks now. And, um, you know, Tony LaRusso, you know, Tony LaRusso just thinks it's a, it's a matter that he can get hot at any second. And, you know, he's right. You know, Makata can get hot. It's just like, you know, can he stay hot um, and, and be more like that player? But, you know, it's kind of baffling because there's really no one explanation about what's wrong with this guy. Before I ask other questions, one more on Makata, because I'm just curious if you've heard or observed anything. I'm just trying to figure out, is it something that, that Mancada's aware of that people are going, Hey, what the heck's going on with you? And, and, and whether or not it's, it's something where, is it possible that he's, he's like, Hey, you know, I can kind of just take this as it comes. Uh, we got a big lead and I think I can kind of flip the switch when I need to. I mean, is there, is there anything that's giving you any indication that it's a concern amongst players on the team, maybe his own teammates, or maybe even a concern for Yohan right now? Well, you know, here's the thing. Yohan like doesn't speak English, so there is kind of like that. The White Sox translator is really good, Billy Russo. But there, you know, there's always like when there's a language barrier, you just kind of can't get to that question sometimes, and and maybe figure like, hey, there there is something wrong here. Um, but as far as what like Yohan says and is translated, he he knows that you know his numbers are down. He's he's well aware of it, and he talked today. And uh, but I, you know, he's just his response is that, you know, he's, he's relatively healthy and, and he's just one of these guys that's like, you know, just keep working, just keep working. He works really hard and uh, it, it's going to happen. So, you know, it's six weeks till the playoffs. So, I mean, if he's just been kind of, you know, gliding here, this would be a good time. And he's aware this would be a good time to start turning it up. So let me bring you back to a discussion we had on our previous show here on Socks in the Basement, because I just love to get a take from somebody else on it. And I was waiting for you to come on the show to just ask what you thought after following the team all year and also being around, you know, Tony and being able to ask questions, get a feeling for some of these pitchers in the starting staff and how they're viewed. One of the things we talked about was who's that fourth guy in the postseason with the assumption that Lynn and, and Rodan and, uh, and Giolito were definitely playoff pitchers. Is it the experience of Dallas Keuchel or is it the coming on strong, I believe, recently and I'm very impressed with the youth of Dylan Cease. Yeah, no, they're not. They're not looking ahead that far. But uh, you know what? Come, here comes the dark horse, Reynaldo Lopez. Um, you know, which I, not, not going to happen unless he like throws a complete game shutout Sunday. Um, he's been unbelievable since you know he's come up from Charlotte, made a couple spot starts, and uh, pitched out of the bullpen. He's been great. I would say just the way like. Dallas Keuchel just really hasn't looked very good. Like all he had, like a stretch. I want to say before the All Star break, his couple starts before the All Star break where he was kind of the, the old Keuchel. But um, you know, he just doesn't. It seems like you know once he goes through the lineup once. I mean, he's lucky like not to get him to the fifth. You know, so I would say given that, and you know, Dylan Cease is kind of erratic too. I mean, yesterday three runs, six innings, nothing spectacular. I think is what he said. But if it was up to me, and I think the White Sox right now, if they had to make a decision right now, I would definitely say uh, Dylan Cease gets that fourth spot. 
Scott Greger from the Daily Herald. Before I let you go, Scott, and one more thing. I, are you getting a feeling for Tony down the stretch here? I mean, I, I just think he's going to be the most fascinating character here right here at the end because he's going to he's steering a team towards a division championship. He's got a big lead. He's sitting around now trying to figure out how am I setting up for the postseason, but how do I keep these guys with an edge? So that they don't get soft and then they and then I can't turn it on when the postseason gets there. He really has to draw back on decades of knowledge as a manager going through things like this with teams headed towards the postseason. Are you gleaning anything off of him as to kind of how he's approaching thing, or is he just basically a like a stone faced veteran that's just gonna give you cliches right now? Yeah, you know, it it, it is pretty fascinating. I mean, he's been gone, Tony, for like for nine years and he comes you know, he comes out of retirement, you know under a obvious, you know, obviously a big cloud of controversy with some of the off-field stuff. Has a really rough kind of April with the, uh, you know, your mean Mercedes thing. And then there's the, uh, he forgot like the 10th inning base running rule. And But you know what, like, um, I just think that you're really starting to see La Russa now. Um, they've had some, like, some really impressive wins. And he doesn't really, he's not like, hey, this team is going to win it all. He's not like that. And when they, you know, they've lost a few, like those games they lost to the Yankees last weekend, you know, they got beat up pretty good there. He doesn't panic. He's just, he kind of knows that, he, I think he knows, first of all, that he's, like, really fortunate to, to inherit such a great team. I mean, let's be honest, you know, either you and I could probably manage this team, but we'd be in first right now, too. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he, he does. Yeah, I think it'll show even more in, in, in the postseason, because if you remember last October with Rick Renteria, I mean, it was just one disaster after another with some of those pitching changes he made, so... Um, you know, Lewis has obviously got a much better bullpen to work with here, but there's a, he just kind of, you could just kind of tell that like, this guy, this guy's won a lot of games, you know, number two all time in wins. And he, he just keeps this even keel. It's like, it's such a long season, you know, doesn't get too high, too low. And just, he just kind of sets everything up. He knows what's coming in October. And I think that's really when his uh, skills are going to come out. Scott Greger, Daily Herald. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Greger. There's only one T in there, as we mentioned at the beginning. And uh, Scott, <laughs> enjoy this run, man. I mean, I I wish. These are the things that when I was a kid that I would say to myself, I, I thought about maybe just being a sports journalist and following a team and then somehow got sucked in the morning rock radio, which was fun. There were lots of girls. I got to be backstage at concerts. Yeah, but I, I kind of always wish I could follow a team on a, on a pennant race. So I want you to enjoy yourself because you're living a dream, my friend. Yeah, it's been great. And I'll tell you, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in Iowa last week. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of Sox games through the years. And that, that's one that will, won't be forgotten very soon. Absolutely incredible. You were lucky to be at it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Chris. Good talking to you. I noticed something the other day. It's fl- kind of floating around. People are starting to suggest it. So I started watching it in the last game that he caught, Zach Collins. And the, the thing that's being brought up by some people, and I think they got a really good point after watching him in his most recent start, Zach Collins is getting in behind the plate for fastballs differently than he gets in behind the plate and sets up for off-speed pitches. That makes sense. And he might be, he might be tipping what's coming. And if you notice the Kopech home run the other day against the A's, there's a guy on second base. Because I had somebody say, well, what does that matter if he's doing it? If you've got a guy on second base, trust me, every team knows how to signal to the batter something that they think is coming. Definitely when there's a guy on second base. So the, second, the guy on second base can see how he's setting up. And if he's setting up differently, all of a sudden you know what's coming. You have a really good idea of what's coming in. At least you know the speed of the ball and the shape of the pitch when it's coming in. 
So it's something to watch for. It's not something that's proven yet. It could be the reason why Sebi Zavala is starting. Well, that and his hitting and the fact that he's overall just better than Zach Collins. And this isn't going to be a problem really going forward because Zach Collins is not long for this team. By the time this airs, he might not even be on the team. So he might be out of AAA. <laughs> but I just thought it was a really interesting thing that a catcher could be tipping it, not just the pitcher tipping it. And that could be an issue. And then when I'm looking at it, I'm watching how he's getting in behind the plate during an at-bat where Michael Kopech, who has been so dominant lately, gives up a two-run home run with a guy on second. I go, hmm. Well, and if you think at what they were talking about was Zach Collins' defense, one thing was the framing where he's adopting the trick of keeping his glove low and then bringing it up into the zone. That wouldn't have any impact on, on tipping the pitches. But the other thing that Collins did was he went from a traditional squat to setting up on one leg, right? Now, if you are expecting a Michael Kopech slider, which could conceivably break out of the zone and get away from you, and you got a guy on second base, you're not going to plant yourself the way you would if you're feeling confident that Kopech is going to put, you know, a darn near 100-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate. And with a Kopech type of pitcher... It's not just the break on his slider that causes the problem. He's really a two-pitch pitcher right now. It is gearing up for the heat as a batter and getting ready to react quickly because you have you know less than a second to react when you're a batter against a major league fastball. And a guy like Kopech who throws it really hard, you have even less time. It's also the change in speed. You can connect with his slider if you have an idea that you have to wait a little bit longer. What gets people in trouble is they have to start their swing and decide, is that slider really a fastball? Do I recognize the spin? Oh, shoot, it's spinning the wrong way. That's a slider. I've already started my swing. I can't hold back. I can't wait for it to get to the plate. I'm already swung through. I'm walking to the dugout. My mom is going to call me later and tell me I'm a weak little man who should quit this game. (laughs) Okay, maybe that's where my head goes, but... But if if Collins is sitting there going, all right, I have to be more spry for the slider because he doesn't trust being able to get off that one leg the way he would for a fastball, then yeah, a guy on second base can look at that. He can just wipe the bill of his cap or whatever the sign is for not fast. And the batter just sits there and goes, okay, I, I may not be able to connect with the slider based on the break, but if I wait back long enough and I know it's going to be something that's going to be spinning away from me, I can sit there and wait for it. Or if I know it's a fastball, I can start my swing early and I can cheat because I know I'm not going to get into that situation where I'm out in front. All right. Before we get out of here, I know you were talking about it uh, when we were getting ready to do the show, but um, the RBI stat, I didn't realize this was a big deal. For some reason on the on the White Sox, I, I want to say it was post-game or pre-game or whatever, whatever one side of the game or, or not, uh, you know, uh, Chuck and, and Frank and Ozzy got into some discussion about RBIs. And people who don't think that RBIs matter. And I I mean, like, you know, folks, can I just can I just say this? Is it is it this bad now that we don't have anything to argue about because the team's so good we're gonna have these kind of arguments? Is that what is that <laughs> sure. where we're at right now? Is that it? I mean, like, we, have we all lost well, our well, this minds? This has been going or? on for a while. This has been going on, I think, though, for a while, where where people devalue the RBI because it's dependent, it's not a power stat, it's dependent on guys being on base. But during the game, as, uh, you know, Benetti out, as Lennon and Steve have been talking about and tracking the fact that Abreu is now leading the majors, he and Rafael Devers of the Red Sox are tied with 89 RBIs leading the majors. As I'm sitting here looking at it, obviously things may change by the time this hits the air. But um, as he's in that race, and that's really the only race that any White Sox batter is in for top of anything right now because of 
Otani primarily. It's been going on for years saying, well, it's dependent on who is getting on and, and, and having people on base. And it's, you know, it's not really a power stat. But what struck me was I was looking at it. Only Tim Anderson shows up. If you look at, at the, the top of the league, top of the majors, top of the American League, only Tim Anderson shows up as having scored a significant amount of runs for this team. He's got 74, which puts him outside the top 10 in both, really. You know, it's a big morass. It's all tied. But Abreu, what, what, you know, what I think is, is going on here is it's that sort of clutch factor, right? And isn't that something we've always kind of talked about? Like, Aloy Jimenez seems to come up and get big hits in big moments. And isn't that when Abreu's at his best? He gets big hits in big moments. It's not that he's going to put up the gaudy stats. He's not going to be a 330, 40 home run guy. He's not going to be that, you know, even his MVP season. Wasn't it really about him coming up and coming through? Well, yeah, yeah, I get that. But, I mean, here's the thing. It's it's such a stupid argument, in my opinion, to have because both sides are right and both sides are wrong. Okay? Being clutch and being able to hit with guys on base, that is a real thing. I think Frank Thomas was right when he said that in his comments. Like, you know, you try to get a hit when the pressure's on and there's guys up there. It's different. I'm going to trust the guy who's the Hall of Famer that if he says that it's different, it's different. On the other hand, yeah. If you're batting third in a good offense, you're going to naturally end up with a ton of RBIs. Like, that's that's a given. Like, if you had Aloy Jimenez healthy the whole year and he was batting third, he'd have the same, if not more, than Jose Abreu in my mind. Oh, easy, yeah. Okay? If Luis Robert was your third hitter, he'd be doing the same thing right now. If you have a really good hitter up there, there are many guys that would get it. The guy sitting in the three spot clearly has a greater opportunity to get runs batted in. He's got more red bats than even the guy in the four. He's clearing the bases before the guy in the four spot can even get up there. He's got guys in front of him that are supposed to be able to get on, who specialize in get on, getting on, that get out in front of him. So it's also a really weird step because if you had Jose Abreu batting seventh and he was just as good of a hitter, he wouldn't have that RBI total. So that, that's, you know, RBIs is a really interesting stat. It shows the guy's capable of driving in runs but it would not be one of the first five stats I would bring up if I was trying to point out how good a hitter was. Like it would not, it would be like an anecdote that I would throw in after I made my point about whether or not the guy was a good hitter, right? I mean, like that's that's how I see that stat. Is it a valuable thing to have? Yes. Does it also depend on the position that you're putting in the lineup and whether or not you have a good team around you that you can drive in runs? That also influences a little bit. It's a good stat. It shows he's able to hit with guys on base. I, I, I'm not saying he's not clutch. He has to be to be able to drive in guys. That is a skill to be able to figure out at the plate, wait a minute, I'm just going to try to put the ball in play because I can get that guy from second all the way in. I mean, heck, Luis Robert has done that multiple times this week where he has just shortened up his swing and popped it through a gap in the infield or laid it out into the outfield because he's driving in a run. That's a skill. The best players all have it. So there's a definite value to RBIs, but I don't think it's like one of the first stats I grab when I try to point out that the guy's a good hitter. So uh, the fact that Yohan Moncada in almost as many games as Jose has only 49 RBIs and he's been in the middle of the order. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like if I wanted to talk about Yohan Moncada's hitting ability, I would point out his OPS compared to Jose Abreu. And, and then I would also say, where does he bat in the order? Yes, yes. RBIs, if they both had equal stats and they both had the same amount of spots in like the three spot, then, of course, I would go to my RBIs to make my argument, right? I'm just saying it's not the first stat that I go and grab. 
Okay. I guarantee you, somebody's going to go out there. They're going to write me a message. They're going to be like, Chris, technically, when you look at this, the amount of times my car is done there and you divide it by three and you lean to the left and you spit into the wind, you're wrong. And that's fine. But just me with this argument, like I get the value of an RBI. I don't value an RBI as high as I value other offensive stats, but it is a very valuable stat. And it's something that I've always said to myself, guy gets 100 RBIs for your team. How do you say he's not valuable? Just like a guy gets 30 home runs for your team. How's he not valuable? You know, his average might suck, but I mean, he, he provided power and he did something for you. You know, I mean, there's certain things that like they're they're benchmarks. It's very hard for me to find like you, you might find flaws in a guy's game, but he's definitely good at baseball if he's able to do those things. That's that's how I view that stat. Well, yeah. And then the fact that Larry Garcia is fifth on the team with 40, we'll just ignore that and move on to a different stat. <laughs> Point proven, Ed. Point proven. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.